0: Evidence and Answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast with your host, Pat Zuckerman. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith, Pat has the opportunity to speak to adult audiences around the world, but in today's broadcast, the audience is much younger in age. In fact, they're in high school. At the 2019 Evidence and Answers Youth Apologetics Conference, Pat was surprised by the challenging questions the youth asked At the question and answer time, listen in as he and guest speaker Clint Manley answers some very difficult questions raised by high school students.
1: All right, here we go. Session one, let me open this time in prayer. The Lord, I just thank you so much that you are a God that we can and should believe in everything that you did for us. May we just trust in you and know that you're good and may you give us hearts to hear and a desire to serve you. I thank you for this time. We pray in your name. And all God's people said... All right, we're waking up at what 855? Here we go. Question number one. How old do you think the earth is and why? It's open to anybody on the panel.
2: Okay. Yes, there's three views when it comes to the age of the earth that Christians have held. First one is called Young Earth Creationism. Okay. Young Earth Creationism says that the days in Genesis are 24-hour days. Okay. And if you look at the genealogies, then the earth then would be anywhere from six to ten thousand years old okay that's young earth creationism then you have a second view called theistic evolution theistic evolution says that god created the universe in a way that darwinian evolutionary system could create life and create the diversity of life that there is now that one has a lot of problems because darwin's systems has some very fatal flaws, and then the way you have to interpret Genesis is problematic. Most theistic evolutionists, they allegorize, you know, the story of Adam and Eve. They're not the first human beings. They're maybe the representative of human beings or the first human beings with the soul or just a representation of man, and so I'm not very comfortable with theistic evolution, but most of your professors in college, if they are Christian, will fall into this category of theistic evolution. The Christian university I went to, most of our professors in the science department were theistic evolutionists. Then the last position is called old earth creationism. Old earth creationists do not. They see Darwinian system as problematic. Some of the best arguments you got now that point out the flaws of Darwin system come from old earth creationists. They take the Genesis account literally. They hold to a literal Adam and Eve. The term day there is the trick. And in Genesis one through three, the term day is used in four different ways. Just like we use day in different ways. Sometimes I can say just yesterday, just the other day I was at Costco. Well, that means about 24 hours ago. Or I can say, you know, just the other day I was in high school, man. Where'd the time go? Well, what's that mean? That means many years ago. So the term day in Genesis is used in about three or four different ways. Day four, it refers to the seasons. Hey, the seventh day, all right? We're still in the seventh day according to Hebrews chapter four because we can end, you know, God rested on the seventh day and we can enter into his rest today. And so we're still in the seventh day. Genesis chapter two, verse four, it says, in the day God created the heavens and the earth. Well, did he create in six days or one day? Well, day in Genesis 2-4 refers to the creation week, okay? So it's being used in several different ways. So an old earth creationist believes that the term day can mean an expanse of time, all right? And so if you're a young earth creationist, then the earth is about six to ten thousand years old. If you're an old earth creationist, then they have no problem with the earth being, was it, six billion years old. They've got and the universe being 14 billion years old, there's no problem with that. And they take the Genesis account literally. So I'm most comfortable with a young Earth or a old Earth creationist position. I think the scientific evidence matches up well, and you take the Genesis account literally. So I think it's one of those two young Earth or old Earth creationists. It's too bad one of those camps is at war with everybody. Those two camps would work together gosh, they'd be such a power, much more powerful force. Unfortunately, that's somewhere among Christians where it can get a little hostile, unfortunately. That's too bad. We had a conference where well, we had a young earth and old earth creationist there, and people loved the way they interacted and they could be brothers in Christ and and dialogue like that. Unfortunately, there were some people in one camp that were protesting us and calling us satanic and Luciferian and all this stuff, and that's, that's not necessary, Okay. But of those three, I recommend Young Earth or Old Earth Creationism. I think that has the best biblical and scientific support. Thank
1: you, Pat. Did anybody want to add? So you're saying be nice
3: to people who have different opinions than you when they fall under
1: acceptable.
2: Yeah, yeah I think, like I said, I think theistic, I mean, theistic evolutionists, they run the gamut. I've been at debates, science debates, where the theistic evolutionists are with the atheists, and they're debating against us and then I have debates where theistic evolutionists are with us, and they're on our side uh, defending with us. So they run the gamut, okay? But I'm most uncomfortable with their position, especially because Darwin's got some flaws and the way they interpret Genesis. But when you come to positions where there is a difference, even if you don't agree with the other side, if they've got a strong biblical case, you know, you can treat them as a brother or sister in the Lord and just agree to disagree. As long as they're presenting a good biblical case.
1: All right, we're moving. Question two, do all pets, you know, I just got a dog. His name is Winston. Some of my youth love him. Winston kind of means joy. Does anyone want to answer that question? Do all pets go to heaven? Okay.
3: Let me first say I have uh, two lovely fluffy rabbits at home. <laughs> we love both of them, but this is a, a pretty difficult question, I think, to, to answer definitively from the Bible. I think you can point to some places in Revelation where there's, there's a reference to horses being in heaven, but whether that's metaphoric or not, it's tough to figure out. I think really it's an irrelevant question is what I would say, because really if you're concerned with whether your pet goes to heaven and that's, that's one of your deciding factors of how good heaven is, then you really have an issue with heaven to begin with. I would go one step further and say that if there's anything that you can't imagine being in, if you can imagine heaven and it doesn't have any one thing besides God, then you don't understand what heaven is. And so that's, that's where I would go there. Whether, whether pets are there or not, ultimately it's irrelevant because the only thing that will matter in heaven, and I say this even though I'm married and I adore my wife, the only thing that's going to matter in heaven is whether God is there or not. That's how I would because clinton you never met my dog that's why uh, he's uh, very <laughs> nice uh, that may that may very well be true i agree with you Clint. <laughs> a thousand percent good all right here we go what if
1: we're all wrong and christianity is false
3: well i can tell you exactly what paul would say on that <laughs> in first corinthians 15 17 through 19 paul says if christ is not risen your faith is futile you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of most men to be pitied. So I think it's it's pretty clear from what Paul says that if Christianity is wrong, then we are of most people to be pitied, which I think really goes to point out what the Christian life should be. Because if we're living exactly the way the world is living, then we should have the same amount of pleasure that they do. But if we're living in a different way and Christ is not real, then that is when we should be pitied. I think Pat would agree we're, we're really concerned with truth and we want to follow the truth where it leads. And, and that's what this, this, what apologetics is all about. And we're going to talk about that some more tomorrow, but really we want to look at the evidence And we want to look at the arguments and we want to look at the biblical data and we want to be able to go where the truth leads us. And so if Christianity is false, at least me personally, I I want to go to whatever is true. And so that's how I would approach that kind of thing. And that's kind of the basis of apologetics is, is being able to assess what the truth is.
2: Yeah, if Christianity is false, consider the alternatives. Then God does not exist. There's no life after death. There's... No creator, eventually what? There's no meaning or purpose or hope for your existence here. The universe is simply an accident, an accident of time and chance. The universe is an accident, therefore, you are an accident. There's no purpose for your existence here. There really isn't. If there is no God and we're just an accident, what difference did it ever make that the universe exploded into being or that you were here? What difference does it ever make? You know, the universe is expanding going to run out of energy someday and reach a state we call final entropy and the universe comes to an end. Well, what difference does it make then that you are ever here? Everything ends in extinction and oblivion. Well, everything the soldier fights for, for freedom, he gives his life for ends in extinction and oblivion. Everything the doctor fights for to extend human life ends in extinction and oblivion. I mean, what it's a meaningless, purposeless li- and it's not something I'm saying. In a debate I had with an atheist, Luke mulehauser he said, "Well, that's your opinion." I said, "Ah, uh-uh. I'm simply stating what you atheists have been saying for the last two hundred years. We can quote them, and they all come to the same conclusion: life is ultimately without meaning, without purpose. We live for a few seconds in this brief, insignificant life in this universe, and it's all over. Well, what does the other religions have to offer? Pantheism." Well, Buddhism, let's take, for example, will you live a life of suffering? How do you end suffering? Complete detachment from everything in this world. Not to love, not to have dreams, just complete detachment from this world. And your hope is what? Nirvana, nothingness, complete extinction. What kind of message of hope is that? Hinduism, or the new age, to be absorbed into the cosmic energy of the universe, to become it the cosmic energy of the universe. What kind of message of hope is that? Christianity really is the only one that offers a message that is meaningful, that gives us purpose and gives us hope. And if it's not true, then as Clint said, we're most to be pitied, not only Christians, but all mankind. So the implications are tremendous. And so as Clint says, the question is, is it true? Because if it is, it's the greatest message of hope that we could ever have.
1: All right, here we go. Can you be
2: homosexual and a Christian? The answer is yes. Okay, now let me qualify this, all right? We all struggle with sin. Can I be greedy and a Christian? I'm I'm struggling with it. Can I have an anger problem and still be a Christian? Yeah, but I, you know, we all struggle with sins. The question rather is, can I be a practicing homosexual and a Christian? And that would be a tough one because John says, you know, if we say we are in the light but walk in darkness, we lie and the truth is not in us. If you're living a life of sin and there's just no repentance, no remorse whatsoever, then do you truly know the Lord? Uh, Well, that's questionable there. But if you struggle with it, but you do your best to live a life of purity and holiness, but struggle with it. And there's remorse, you know, over that struggle and, and things, then I would say that's a believer in Christ. And that's part of the fallen sin nature that he is struggling with. Okay. So as Paul said in Romans six, shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? May it never be a Christian can struggle with all kinds of sins, including homosexuality, but a true Christian would want to live a life of purity and when it comes to sin, they have the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they'd be remorseful and repentant over it. So that's really the question there.
3: I would add to that. I, I think everything you said was, was great. Um, I would add to that too, part of the, the issue with the question is identity. All of us have propensities to certain sins. That's, that's just, we all have a fallen nature is, is what we're told in, in Romans. I mentioned earlier that that I struggled with pornography for years and years. I had a propensity towards that sin. Just because we have a propensity to a certain sin or, or not to others, that doesn't give us the right to act on those propensities. And homosexuality from Scripture is is very clearly sinful. And so just because you have a, a bent or an inclination towards a certain sin doesn't mean that, that we have the right to act on it. And the other issue, I think, with the question is, I have a big issue with someone saying they're a homosexual Christian, because if homosexuality is a sin, I don't want to identify myself as the sin that I have a propensity to. I would never say that I'm an alcoholic Christian. It's kind of an oxymoron. I would say that, that I'm a Christian that maybe struggles with alcoholism, or I'm a Christian that struggles with homosexuality. But where you place your identity is, is very important.
1: What do you do if an atheist confronts you and says the Bible is fake?
2: Yes, you know, I get that quite a bit. And often you you just ask them, well, what do you mean by that? Because a lot of atheists or skeptics who tell me that have never really read through the Bible and have a very shallow understanding of the Bible. And so a lot of their questions are misunderstandings or Information they don't have about the Bible, and for example, a gentleman said, "Well, Bible is fake." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, the Gospels weren't written until a hundred years after Christ, and they're passed down orally, and you know how oral tradition is, and all this." And I said, "How do you know it was written hundreds of years after Christ?" He goes, "Well, I mean, that's that's what I think I saw on the Discovery Channel." I said, "Have you read the scholars on it? I mean, the New Testament scholars." Christian or non Christian, have, have you ever read them? And was like, well, you know, well, no. Okay. And I said, well, yeah, if you study, uh, even the skeptics will say the gospels were written anywhere from 20 to 40 years after the life of Christ in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. And they were written. Matthew was written by an eyewitness, John is a disciple of Christ, Mark and Luke walk with the disciples of Christ. So these are first-generation eyewitness accounts. And you know what's important about that? People who saw what Christ did and witnessed those things were still alive when the Gospels were being circulated. And they could verify that what these guys wrote was true or false. And if it was false, the Gospels would have never lasted, would have never lasted to this day because there's too many eyewitnesses who can verify your facts as true or false. All right, so, for example, if I wrote a book and said, hey, this is the best... Biography on John F. Kennedy and John F. Kennedy man three days after He was shot he rose from the dead at Parkland Hospital and all the doctors saw him And then he went to the uh, Dallas Capitol there and hundreds of people saw him And then he preached in Prestonwood Baptist and 30,000 people saw him and thousand people saw him at first Baptist and uh And if I went to Dallas and told that story my biography wouldn't last for a day why? Well, even 60 years after, there's still too many eyewitnesses who can verify my accounts easily as false. Gospels are written 20 years, even earlier perhaps, and there's too many eyewitnesses who can verify their facts as true or false. Okay, so a lot of times when they say this, they really haven't read or studied the issue and simply just ask them, what do you mean by that? Another guy said, well, Bible hasn't been copied accurately What you have is a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. You don't even have the original, so how do you know it's true? I said, do you know how many copies there are of the Bible? So there's over 25,000 ancient manuscripts, some we can date to within early, second, late, first century. 25,000 manuscripts, we can get very accurate. When we compare them side by side, and we can do that now with computers, We can be very accurate to the original. And I'll explain some of that tomorrow. So a lot of it, they just don't know the facts or they've misunderstood passages that they read. And so if you know your Bible well and you know some apologetics, just ask them, what do you mean by that? And often you'll be able to see the misunderstanding and explain it to them.
1: Did you write that down? <laughs> I hope so. Well, oh, David did. That's good. All right, next question. Why do people still hold to Darwinism as an origin of life?
3: Well, the one of the... The main things with Darwinism is it's much more than just a, a scientific theory. It really holds, uh, it carries with it an entire philosophy. You could almost view it as a religion in itself. And so it, it carries with it. From an atheistic perspective, you you really have no other option for the origin of life than Darwinism. There's just There's just no other options that are even tenable. And Darwinism has a lot of problems, but... There's, there's nothing else to go to. If you want to be an atheist and you want to try to explain the origin of life, you have no other options. And so really the reason that people hold to Darwinism, and actually at, a, at, the, at the highest levels of academia, a lot of people, they're really trying to get away from Darwinism because of all, Pat mentioned some of the fatal flaws, that they're trying to move away from it because it's really not a good option, and they realize that. But people hold to it so tightly because if you want to be an atheist, you don't have any other options. And so it really carries with it the entire weight of of atheism as well. All right, here we go. When we're in trouble,
2: why should we turn to the Bible? Well, the Bible, and we're going to learn this tomorrow, the Bible is indeed God's word. Okay, and what does that mean? Well, it means then it is telling you truth and god 's Word tells you how to live in god 's world, and so the wisdom that you need in times of suffering, in times when you 're facing tremendous amount of difficulty, where do you want to go? You want to go to the truth to god 's word. Now, some of the things in there might be difficult and tough to swallow, but indeed, truth can often be very difficult, but that 's the nature. Of truth, it just says it like it is. And so to live in God's world, we need God's word. That's His instruction book for us. We don't want false hope. We don't want to live like Clint was talking about in a world of deception. We're designed by God to know His truth and to live according to His truth. And that's the way to face those most difficult times in your life. So, not only in the good t- uh, bad times, in the good times as well, we should always be guided by God's Word because God's Word teaches us how to live in God's world. He created this world. He created the manual of how to live in it. Wise person would follow the manual of the Creator.
3: Ultimately, too, uh, the Bible is incredibly important because it, it reveals who God is. Romans 1 tells us that from the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen in creation. And so we have a a degree of revelation of who God is just simply based on what we see in creation. Those are his His fingerprints and and signposts that point to him. But to really understand who God is, more specifically his character and how he deals with us as humans, we have to have God's word. That specific revelation is what it's called. Creation is is general revelation that God has given us to point to him, and God's word is specific revelation. We're also told in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. <laughs> Literally, what Paul is saying there is God has breathed out his word into what we have as the Bible, and that makes it incredibly valuable. And so that's why I would say if if you want to deal with some of the problems in your life, you turn to the... The person that created the universe you turn to the person that created you and you go from there let me finish out that verse though second timothy 316 all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work so god intends for his word to equip us for every good work that, that he has for us so It's very sufficient. I think is a good word.
1: If God is good, why does He let evil happen? So again, if God is good, why does He let evil happen? In five minutes, go.
2: Yeah. Hopefully, we'll have to address this maybe at a conference next year. Huh? Sneak peek. I had a uh, debate, you know, with an atheist, and this is the first first question he asked. And usually, atheists is the first question they go to to disprove the existence of God, but it actually boomerangs right back into proof for the existence of God. He said, if God is so good, why, you know, there's so much evil and suffering? I said, would you define evil for me? Would you define evil for me? And he was stuck. He had never been asked that question before. And I said, define what you mean by evil, because if something is objectively evil, there's an absolute standard of good that you're measuring it by, from which we have departed. Where did that absolute standard of good come from? You can't have a moral law without a moral lawgiver. Who gave us that absolute standard of good? If something is objectively evil, there's an absolute standard of good above us all by which we're measuring. I said, where did that come from? And he had never thought about it before. And I said, you can't say your line is crooked unless you have a straight line by which to measure it against. If this is evil, what's your standard of good? What are you measuring it by? And he was completely stuck. This question actually boomerangs right back into another proof for the existence of God. And Christianity is the only message that can give you a reasonable answer to this question and any message of hope. I said, you as an atheist, what's your answer? We live in a meaningless universe. We live meaningless lives. We suffer from evil, which you can't define. And we die and we become extinct. What kind of message of reason or hope is that? The Christian is the only one. So God created us, and he created us good perfect. Good creature must be able to do the greatest good that can possibly be done. And what is that? That's to love.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Evidence & Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call at 483-0586, or you may contact him through our Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's On The Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online on the home page. You'll also find that we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat (laughs) Zucran.